Austin, Texas. On May 11th, that is Wednesday uh, of, of, of this week. <laughs> Sorry for the late notice, but there's going to be a meetup here in Austin, Texas. If you are local to the central Texas area, we would love to see you starting at 6 p.m. local time at Cosmic Coffee and Beer on South Congress. They are in attendance. Myself, Andrew Heaton, Jen Briney, the three of us are gathering, and it's going to be a very fun, possibly interesting, maybe some news. I don't know. I don't know. It's all up to you. Come on out if you can. That is the uh, Cosmic Coffee and Beer on South Congress starting at 6 p.m. Join us, won't you? The following is brought to you by Will Harris, Dustin Campbell, Daily Tech News Show, Andy Beach, Nick Wood, and Craig. Hello and welcome everybody to the Politics, Politics, Politics program for May 11th, 2022. Your old pal Justin Robert Young joining you. From Austin, Texas, we have a consequential show for you, a place-setting show for you. We are going to give you context to a few things that are coming up over the next hours and days. First, we will set the table for our trip out to Pennsylvania. Indeed, Dr. Oz, Dave McCormick, and a new challenger have created a three-way race at the top of this particular contest. Trump has weighed in. There is a very clear go-bots to his Transformers, which is also very, very funny in the shape of Ted Cruz, who has now come in as the consolation prize for both Josh Mandel and Dave McCormick. And we are going to profile really substantially for the first time on this show, Kathy Barnett, who has spent very little money and yet has, in the most accurate poll that has happened in Republican politics over the last six years, the the, the Trafalgar group is now leading one of those two. Very, very interesting stuff as uh, we head on out to the Keystone State a little bit later. We're also going to switch our attention to the Senate, where today Chuck Schumer will push forward the Women's Health Protection Act, something that he says will codify Roe versus Wade into law. This, of course, comes after the uh, leaked decision uh, or leaked vote that is a read. It's not the real decision. It's the other decision. It's it's in the process. It was leaked. Anyway, it looks likely that Roe versus Wade will be overturned at this point. Based on that information, Chuck Schumer is going to try to codify Roe versus Wade in the Senate. Or is he? According to two Republican senators who are pro-choice, Lisa Murkowski and Susan Collins, That particular law goes further than they would be comfortable, and they have drafted their own codification of Roe versus Wade. So if there are two codifications of the same thing, and one of them can draw two Republican votes, which A, means you're only eight Republican votes away from actually passing the thing, and at the very least would give you a better political edge going into the midterms by saying that, look, this drew Republican votes, then why would you go with the one that the Republicans won't vote for? We will discuss. Speaking of gigantic contentious issues, the money man, Dave Leventhal, joins us to talk about exactly how much issue-based fundraising matters in our modern era. And 
whether or not that leaked Politico article has driven it up or down. Spoiler, it's up. But first... The race for the Republican nomination for Senate in Pennsylvania is in the final week. And I'll be there to cover it. By my calculations, there is a frontrunner, a fading former frontrunner, and, since it's always sunny in Philadelphia, a wild card. The most accurate Republican pollster over the last six years has been the Trafalgar Group, and they have the most recent poll in this race. They put Dr. Oz at 25%, Dave McCormick at 22%, and Kathy Barnett at 23%. So Kathy Barnett, who has not been a name that has made a lot of waves in this particular race, now polling ahead of McCormick, who has put north of $25 million in advertising into this. But let's start at the top. Dr. Oz. Had a huge rally for Republican Senate candidate, Dr. Mehmet Oz. Great on you, what? We're going to have a lot of fun, Pennsylvania. We're going to have a lot of fun. It's time to start talking about greatness for our country again. That starts with nominating my friend, Dr. Mehmet Oz. He's a great man. Dr. Oz, I've known him a long time. Do we love presidents from Pennsylvania? When you save the soul of Pennsylvania, you save the soul of America. And the rest of the world is watching us. That's what we're fighting for. That's why President Trump, it means the world to me that you're here, sir. God bless you. Dr. Oz is a man who truly believes in the MAGA movement. He believes it 100%. Obviously, the big news here, especially considering that J.D. Vance, as the third place runner in the Ohio Republican primary, got the Trump nod and went on to win, is that Dr. Oz got the Trump nod. Much like in Ohio, there were two men running hard to get that Trump endorsement, but... Only one can get the rose at the end of the night, and Big Chungus went with his fellow television personality in Mehmet Oz. From my vantage point, Oz has run a very slick media campaign. His ads have been clear. He's been able to stay away from the fact that he's barely lived in the state he's looking to represent as a senator, and he's used his strengths being a nationally known personality to his advantage while deftly declaring MAGA positions. With the Trump endorsement, without seeing any of the campaigns in person yet, I believe that this is Oz's race to lose. In fact, I do not look kindly on some of the super PACs that are supporting McCormick pointing out that Mehmet Oz voted in a Turkish election or served in the Turkish military. That, to me, is a little bottom of the barrel desperate. They even had Mike Pompeo, a former secretary of state for the the Trump White House, come out and talk about uh, a Mehmet Oz voting in a Turkish election. That's not what you are doing when you're in control. A front runner does not attack the second in command with you're a foreign asset. The front runner talks about themselves and highlights issues for which they are in, in control of. And you've seen some of that with McCormick who's highlighted his military career more and more. Maybe he's hoping that people will look into the fact that Mehmet Oz did serve in the military, the Turkish military. But again, These are not the actions of a campaign that feels confident to me. So what else is happening with David McCormick? David, I want to congratulate you. You've served our country well in so many different ways. You know why he said that? Because it's true. I've risked my life for America, and I'd do it again in a heartbeat. I came home and helped create hundreds of Pennsylvania jobs. I'm a pro-life, pro-gun, America-first conservative. 
and damn proud of it. I'm Dave McCormick and I approve this message and I'm asking for your vote to save this great country. So McCormick, for those of you catching up, is a former hedge fund guy who worked in the Trump administration and like Dr. Oz has probably seen more Broadway plays in the last decade than Steelers games. But wait a minute, let's, let's go back to that ad. Didn't Oz have the Trump endorsement? Why is McCormick running an ad with Trump praising him? Well, the reality is that much like Josh Mandel, there doesn't seem to be much of a plan B for McCormick if he got the silver medal in the Trump competition. Instead of making this another challenge he has to overcome for not only himself, but all Pennsylvanians. It just seems that they're going to pretend that they got the endorsement and act like everything's fine. Now, there's one little wrinkle to these big money primaries. If you can't get the Trump nod, there is a replacement available. Indeed. And this is pretty funny. Both Mandel and McCormick, the week after the Trump snub, went out on the trail with Ted Cruz. (laughs) Yes, the Mr. Pibb to Trump's Dr. Pepper. Mom, can we have the Trump endorsement? No, we have the Trump endorsement at home. The Trump endorsement at home is Ted Cruz. He is going to be out on two different campaign stops this week with McCormick, but unfortunately, it'll be too early for us to cover them. So McCormick's running ads saying that Trump loves him. What did Trump say earlier this week at a campaign event where he touted Dr. Oz? So I don't know David well, and he may be a nice guy, but he's not MAGA. He's not MAGA. If we are assuming that two states that are very close together, although Ohio is more red than Pennsylvania, but in a Republican primary, that the same gravity for McCormick will hold what it did for Mandel, who, by the way, is a more seasoned politician, then I think that. McCormick is going to slide even further. I think that he is the former front runner permanently, which may benefit a surprise entrant into this largely two horse race. Who among them stood up for us? These politicians cannot serve two masters. They cannot serve you and the lobbyists. I am you. I will fight for you, your family, your businesses. I will be your voice. It's time to make a change, Pennsylvania. Vote for me, Kathy Barnett, to fight for you in the United States Senate. My name is Kathy Barnett, and I approve this message. I've been critical of Kathy Barnett's campaign as being a little scattered. You know, she does not quite have the polish of either of the two other front runners. And part of it is you get what you pay for. However, Barnett has a few things that are going for her. First, she lives in Pennsylvania, unlike the other two. Second, she's got an insane backstory that's only more relevant considering the news surrounding her vote, and one that would specifically play to a Republican electorate. Barnett's mother gave birth to the eventual candidate when she was 12. The pregnancy was a product of a rape perpetrated by a 21-year-old man upon Barnett's then 11-year-old mother. Barnett is pro-life and speaks passionately about not only the position against abortion, but also the carve-outs for rape as being somebody that was born of that process. She's a raw, passionate speaker, and she has spent, at this point, a little over six figures in television ads. In comparison, Oz and McCormick have spent close to $50 million combined. Can she pull it off, though? Polls show her with momentum, But Oz has name recognition, and it's been built up for over a decade. That being said, I'm excited to see 
all three campaigns. You know I'm going to be looking around. I'm looking at their staffers. I'm seeing how nervous they are. I'm seeing how confident the candidate is. I'm seeing the momentum. I'm feeling the vibes. We land in Pennsylvania on Saturday. The tail of the campaign, at least in for everybody that I can see, on Saturday and Sunday will come a week early for Patreon supporters on the Monday podcast. And uh, the results of this race will show up next week, along with all of the audio that we recover on the free feed. Because for the first time in 50 years, women in America face the real possibility of living in a world where the protections of Roe v. Wade are a thing of the past. It will set up a situation where, where our children, women children, female children, have less rights than their grandparents. Something that is so un-American, taking away rights, stepping backward on rights in such a dramatic way. So tonight I will set up a vote for Wednesday on legislation that will codify the fundamental right to an abortion into federal law. Every American is going to see where every senator stands on protecting one of the most important rights a woman has regarding her own body. I want to be clear, this week's vote is not an abstract exercise. This is as real and as high stakes as it gets, and Senate Republicans will no longer be able to hide from the horror they've unleashed upon women in America. Today, the Senate will vote on the Women's Health Protection Act, a bill that, according to Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, will codify Roe v. Wade and Casey v. Planned Parenthood into law. The two cases, of course, that I just referenced will reportedly be overturned by the Supreme Court if a leaked draft of that decision lines up with the final verdict, which we keep saying has yet to be delivered. That law will or that bill will not become law. It ain't going to succeed. In fact, it will likely not even get all of the Democratic votes that it can get. Joe Manchin will probably not vote for it. It certainly will not get two pro-choice Republican senators, Lisa Murkowski of Alaska and Susan Collins of Maine. Now, I know that many of the liberal listeners of this show uh, recoil in horror when they hear the phrases Lisa Murkowski and Susan Collins because they are often portrayed in the various, you know, funhouse mirrors of political commentary in news gathering as being, you know, uh, 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 false witnesses. Sure, they're pro-choice, but boy, do they put Republicans on the Supreme Court. Sure, they're pro-choice, but when something bad happens in, in that realm, they are, you know, furrowed brow, deeply concerned. And we've seen this over the, the last few days with the Roe versus Wade decision where both Collins and Murkowski, Collins specifically, said that she only voted for Brett Kavanaugh because he had told her that Roe versus Wade was settled law, something that was important to her. However, I want you to follow this line of thought. When the House first voted the Women's Health Protection Act to the Senate, Collins and Murkowski proposed another version. This is from February. According to their own press release, here are the problems that they had with the Women's Health Protection Act. First, the WHPA would supersede all other federal and state laws, including relig the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, which both uh, Senator Collins and Murkowski support because it provides critical protections for religious liberties. Congress has never before adopted legislation that contains an exemption to this religious liberty law, which was authored by Majority Leader Chuck Schumer when he served in the House and passed by overwhelming bipartisan majorities in 1993. Furthermore, the WHPA's overly broad language far exceeds Roe by striking down state laws such as those that require certain materials to be given to the patient, prohibit sex-based abortions, or require parental or guardian notifications for minors seeking an abortion. It's also worth noting that the uh, Women's Health Protection Act also specifically enshrines the right to an abortion through nine months. You 
don't have to be somebody who spent a lot of time listening to this debate to know that third trimester abortions have been a contentious topic for a very long time. This would go literally as far as that goes. Now, the Reproductive Choice Act, authored by Collins and Murkowski, says it would do all the things that the Women's Health Protection Act says it really means to do, codifying Roe versus Wade as law without the problems. All the taste, no calories, at least when it comes to getting to Republican votes. Specifically, they say it would prohibit states from imposing an undue burden on the ability of a woman to choose whether or not to terminate a, preg- a pregnancy prior to fetal, uh, fetal viability. That's a key element when we're talking about the nine-month stuff. Would continue to allow states to enact regulations to further the health or safety of a woman seeking to terminate a pregnancy while clarifying that unnecessarily uh, unnecessary health regulations that have the purpose or effect of presenting a, quote, substantial obstacle to a woman seeking to terminate a pregnancy would continue or constitute a, quote, undue burden and would continue to permit states to restrict the ability to terminate a pregnancy after fetal viability, except when necessary to preserve the life or health of the woman as consistent with Roe and Casey. And finally, would not have any effect on laws regarding conscience protections, including laws that protect healthcare providers who refuse to provide abortions for moral or religious reason. And so we come to the decision for Chuck Schumer to run with the Women's Health Protection Act and not the Reproductive Choice Act. Because make no mistake, this is a message bill. What is a message bill? A message bill is something that you want to have everybody vote on. So in an upcoming election and the attendant fundraising therein, you can say, I voted to do blank, but the villainous other party said blank. So you smear your opponent from the other party. You lionize yourself by saying that I voted on it. Here's the problem. If I'm creating a messaging bill, then I would like to have Republican votes on it. And if you're not going to get Democratic votes, I mean, what what do you think is, is more likely to be a cudgel for which you can pry independents that currently are fleeing the Republican or start fleeing the Democratic Party under Biden that, that, that gets them back into the in, into the tent. I don't think the Women's Health Protection Act does that. I don't think it does that in the same way that the Reproductive Choice Act would. But the second one was authored by Republicans. So there we go. This effectively is a signal that the Democrats have no legislative plan to protect abortion rights. And that, quite honestly, the fundraising for Ukraine to defend themselves is more important. They're currently in a very intense back and forth debate with the, with Republicans on that. And the Democrats seem to have gotten their way. They asked for $33 billion and it looks like they're going to get 40 But, you know, that's urgent. Not like Roe versus Wade. He said sarcastically. Two weeks of travel back to back. I am in Pennsylvania this weekend to see all the campaigns that I just talked about. And I am in Georgia the next week, hopefully taking a look at the Herschel Walker campaign, the David Perdue campaign and the Brian Camp campaign. If I have time, maybe even get into the Secretary of State because uh, uh, Raffensperger is another Trump villain that uh, if he escapes the primary, that will also be notable. But again, let me just make this very, very clear. Every other political podcast that you listen to, even the ones that are from gigantic companies, don't send their talent into the field. They don't. 
Maybe their talent goes there to report for other things, but nobody believes that you deserve the product that you listen to, the podcast itself, to be boots on the ground. I don't know why. I mean, it's probably because it's a lot cheaper to keep people here. I mean, I know for a fact when I look at the bills that I I run up on the road, it would certainly be a lot easier for me to just stay here and talk about these things. And, you know, I'd probably be about 80% as correct because a lot of my instincts are right. But sometimes I see these campaigns and I change my mind. Sometimes I see these campaigns and I know for sure what is going to happen. And so I go. I get up early on a uh, Friday or a Saturday, truck my butt on down to whatever different uh, 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 region I need to go. I record all this stuff so I can package it up for you because you, my dear listener, deserve it. The reason why I have the ability to do this is people support me at TakePoliticsSeriously.com. And folks, if you are on the $3 club, you're going to get something for your money. I mean, you always do. You always get two bonus episodes each and every week, but you're going to get something even better. You are going to get all the sound that I record on Saturday and Sunday, along with me breaking down the Sunday, Sunday, Sunday shows. I mean, that's going to happen the next week, too, in Georgia. So if you've been on the fence about getting on the $3 club or maybe even the Titanic $10 tier that gets your name read at the end of this show, these are the good weeks to be a part of. That's where you need to go. TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Thank you so much for your support. We mentioned in our previous segment that the Roe versus Wade leak decision is something that has become a very, very, very contentious issue, not only for the midterms, which now it seems the Democrats are content to punt this toward, but also for the fundraising that funds those midterms. And if we're talking about money, there's only one man we need to go to from Insiders DC Bureau, it is the money man. Dave Leventhal, welcome back to the show, Dave. It is great to be back, Justin. So the first thing that I thought of after, you know, all of the 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 din of DC and the media and all of uh, uh Twitter had had subsided from that Politico story that dropped was exactly how much this was going to be played through, you know, specifically Congress. And and as we just covered in the segment before we had you on, it seems like uh, the Senate Democrats uh, are going to push forward a, a mostly messaging bill that that does not have much of a chance of, of, of passage today as people listen to this. But that means that they're betting this on the midterms and they are using this to fundraise for those races. So from your perspective, let's start here in in the abstract. How much is issue-based fundraising? So not just this candidate is bad, not just we as a party need to move forward, but specifically, I need gun rights. I need abortion. I need your vote on 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 these specific things. How much does issue-based funding matter in fundraising in general? So I'll answer that question with with a slightly different answer and then get back to your point. And, sure. and that's to say this that uh almost invariably when Democrats or Republicans go and they send you that email fundraising blast. Yeah. Or they put up a Facebook ad or otherwise try to solicit money, what they're hoping to raise money off of more than anything is a moment of pure, unadulterated outrage. Gotcha. So that that could very well be an issue. Yes. It could very well be something that Donald Trump said. It, it, it could be anything really under the sun, so long as it has that 
motivating, galvanizing force of people totally freaking out. And this was a pretty total freak out moment. Well, yeah, hold on, hold on. Before before we get into in, in, into the specific, I want to stay here. The the idea of panic and outrage being the art of this particular element of of of, of politics that. Uh, uh, the more you have refined the the concept of an email list, and let's even go back to you know uh, 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 you know people that I know that do retail email lists. You always want to have an offer. There's a reason why a lot of email lists that you get for retail stuff is oh you get a percentage off. There's only 12 hours left. I, I just helped a buddy of mine with a Kickstarter, and he was like, well you know you just run the Kickstarter and that's that. And it's like no no no. The Kickstarter is very, very powerful because there's a ticking clock and psychologically more people are going to be willing to get into a thing that will go away if they do not move uh, immediately. Would you say in watching this particular form of email list activation that things have gravitated more toward the idea of outrage and and panic or has that always just been the way that that these sort of uh, uh online solicitations have gone there's been an evolution in political fundraising um over really the the past 10 years um you know now 11 12 years since in particular the the citizens united versus federal election commission decision came down from the supreme court back in 2010 okay and and that really opened the floodgates to unlimited fundraising and unlimited contributions and also unlimited spending by organizations that we've talked about many times over, uh, which are known as super PACs. Yeah. And also certain types of nonprofit organizations. All of that really set in motion the, the conditions that we have today in politics, which is that when you have a big moment uh, like we just had last week, that the mechanisms are there to raise a considerable amount of money very quickly. And it's all coupled with, you know, technology having evolved too on a parallel track at a very rapid clip where to get to your point about sort of the psychology about yeah. this, psychology is replete through the art of political fundraising. And, you know, I'm just looking at, I was looking at last night at, at some of the things that Nancy Pelosi, for example, had, mm-hmm. uh, had blasted out in the past few days. And, and some are pretty perfunctory, you know, Roe v. Wade update uh, or or something that that's you know garden variety, but yeah. then there's other ones, uh, which is like you know Mitch McConnell gone, which is the subject line of <laughs> one email uh, where somebody might actually think, and actually a lot of people will think that wait, Mitch McConnell, he's not running for re-election, he's leaving, he died. What what's yeah. going on here? So they're going to open that email. And then it's funny, too, because on uh, on the other side of that same coin, Nancy Pelosi has a subject line for an earlier email just a couple of days ago uh, removed uh, that says, I'm done, as if to say, I'm going to end my service in Congress. Yes. I am going to step down as speaker. So, you know, there's sort of a uh, kind of a curiosity gap, if you will, that I'm just picking on Nancy Pelosi, but that many, many politicians use. To, to really try to entice people to do the most important thing of all short of making the donation, which is click on the email. Yeah. And I've talked, Justin, to uh, probably dozens uh, of fundraisers over the years right now, people who it's their job to do this stuff, to craft these email campaigns, to write the messages, to have the strategy for a campaign or a political committee. And for the ones who are being honest and and, and the ones who are willing to talk about it, they will say that, yes, almost invariably, the click rates for those types of emails are going to be way, way better than the click rates for, you know, something that that's just very matter of fact. Dear uh, fellow citizen. Straightforward. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that, 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 is, that, that is not going to do the same kind of numbers. And, and I say all this just to point out the the world in which we are entering into, because if you can raise money on Donald Trump, according to a report saying that certain countries are s-hole countries, which I'm sure happened considering you know that there was there was such an outcry about that back then, 
than when you have the shattering of the underpinning of like almost every political debate that has happened over the last 50 plus years, then there's going to be a lot of chaos for, uh, uh, you know, to to take advantage of. And uh, from every side of the aisle, there is going to be a reaction to click on this link and possibly bankroll the people that you believe are on the right side of history. So let's get into the specifics. Since that Politico story leaked, have we seen an uptick in these kinds of solicitation emails? I I can stand here today and say we saw a definite demonstrable uptick in these <laughs> types of emails. And really just the the hours, even the minutes after the uh, Politico leak published. And and really, after after probably 24 hours, um, I might even turn the clock back a little bit more to, to say 12 to 18 hours, if you were a prominent Democrat or a prominent Democratic political committee, and, and you had not sent a fundraising email out with a subject line that was, was fairly urgent or even hyperbolic, yes. uh, then you were... You were not in the game. Something was wrong. You were you were missing in action because I I'm subscribed to many 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 <laughs> political fundraising lists and whatnot. Absolutely, and just about everyone that I was subscribed to on, on the Democratic side at least was was in full all hands on deck category five action, and and they were using this leak as an opportunity to to do well two things. Number one uh, on on sort of the building and development level and engagement level, they were sometimes saying, oh, you know, sign a petition or do a thing to tell Congress or tell the Supreme Court. So taking action, which oftentimes is a a great way to gobble up some extra data for their data machines so that they can continue to know who is supporting them and and message effectively in the future. So so that is, and that is just on, on, on a technical level. If you get an email saying, uh, uh, I need your, in fact, I just saw this one today from, from Trump. I need your opinion, which I assume is a survey. Like, am I great? Yes. Or yes. Like whatever you open the email or more than that, click whatever uh, 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 thing that they have, not only, do they get information on your IP address and 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 all all the the geolocation element for which they can now know more about who is paying attention to their messages? Is that correct? Absolutely. And yeah. and we're going to do something in real time here, and then get back to Democrats, which okay. is literally as I'm watching my inbox as we're talking right now, I I got an email. It's from the NRCC. Okay. Okay. The National Republican Congressional Committee and the. Survey. Well, the the subject line is grassroots survey ID. Okay. They give you some gobbledygook number eight six one dash eight nine two, which doesn't mean anything. But the <laughs> the uh, it's being sent by a not by the NRCC. At least the name of the email address. It's Planned Parenthood poll, and then you click on the email because hey, if you're a conservative and you're getting a, a poll about yep. Planned Parenthood. You, you may have some thoughts. You probably you may do. have some views. You probably you may do. want to yeah. express those thoughts and views, right? And then you open it up and it it asks a question. It says, should Planned Parenthood be defunded? And one option is a blue button that says yes and one that says no. And I suspect if you click either the yes or the no, it's going to take you to the same place. Yes. I'm going to click one of the buttons and okay. bam. Okay. They ask you a question. Should Planned Parenthood be defunded? Yes, no, or unsure? Okay, we're just going to click unsure for the sake of doing so. All right. And it asks you a question. Do you have any other input that you would like to share with House conservatives? (laughs) And then, Justin, it asks for the stuff that it really wants, which is your first name, your last name, your email address, your zip code, and your cell phone. And all of that information is incredibly, incredibly effective when, for example, if you live in a battleground state where there's a big congressional race. Yeah. And they got your cell phone. Well, political committees, they are exempt from any type of spam phone call regulation. So they can call you if you've volunteered your cell phone number, they can text you. And in fine print, it basically says that like, hey, you know, you're agreeing to get auto dialed. You're agreeing to receive texts and calls from me. That is incredibly valuable. And then you click submit my response. Guess what you get then? You get a fundraising solicitation. So they're getting data. They're getting yep. money. They're getting everything that they all want. And it's free to them effectively to send this email in the first place. 
and, and this was just the latest one I got. The Democrats this, this, this is happening the during the interview. Oh, yeah, this, this is happening constantly. And so uh, I would guess from there, depending on how you get on that email list, the only thing of that questionnaire that they don't have, they probably have your name because at some point somebody signed up for something. Sure. Uh, they definitely have your email address because they already sent you an email. Uh, they probably have your zip code if you clicked on the email because there's IP tracking on these web pages and and things that are opening the little uh, 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 tidbits in the emails that are sending back where they are serving the data to. But they don't have the cell phone, and 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 the cell phone is the big. I mean, especially in our modern era, that that is a whole nother money making format, right? Without question. And when you click on the fine print to see what exactly is happening, if I give you NRCC my cell phone number, it says, and I quote, by providing your cell phone or mobile phone number, you are consenting to receive calls and texts, including auto dialed and automated calls and texts to that number with campaign notifications from the National Republican Congressional committee. And, and, you know, that's really the ball of wax there is that they can use this in a major way as a messaging and a get out to vote tool. And also to Justin, it's important to note that they can take this information that they've collected. They can merge it with information that they may have about you from voter rolls, from other mm -hmm. sources, committees share data, they share information. So in essence, what, what the Republicans and the Democrats have done in, in the past several years, and you know, Obama, the Obama campaign was really oh, yeah. innovative when it came to, to this kind of stuff, really kind of set the, the tone for the next decade uh, from 2012 and on, even going back to 2008, is that they have a digital dossier of, of supporters uh, or people that they would like to have support more, whether it be it through volunteerism, be it through money, whatever the case may be, but they're going to be able to get at you and know a lot more about you in order to do so than you ever could have imagined even, you know, back 15, 20 years ago. So, and, and look, we are talking about a, a clinical level of campaigning here. So, so we are, we are all going to be very mature and do our best to separate ourselves from whatever emotions you have on this issue. But this leak, this Politico leak, would it be safe to say that it is has been a monumental data harvest, even if they did not raise a single dollar, which we, we are assuming they raised many? Yeah. And anecdotally, uh, we're, we're probably talking tens and tens of millions of dollars in a very short period of time on both sides. I should note that we'll, we'll be able to crunch those numbers empirically in July when the second quarter of this year numbers come out campaign finance numbers come out for for all of the federal entities that, that would be it's, it's got to be it's got to be bonkers i mean like and 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 this is was we were probably going to see a uptick in a lot of this stuff because we are into the the kind of meat of of, of the midterm season although the earliest portion of it uh but but i can't imagine that this is going to to do anything but supercharge everybody's uh uh, uh filings when when they come due Right. And, and look, the last thing that most people are going to be thinking about when they get a an email solicitation or a message like this from a political committee that they just in, you know inherently like or from a yep. party that they support, they're not going to be thinking about, well, wait, is my data going to be used in a way <laughs> that maybe I'm not too cool about? Or is it going to get traded or rented out to some other political committee that I've never heard of? And, you know, this type of trading of data and, and selling and reselling and repackaging and renting of data, it happens all the time. And that's why if you've that's ever a whole business, up a list, right? That's it's, it's a, a whole it's a huge. Business. It's a whole separate business is literally just the brokering of deals and trading of these these lists. And sometimes it's in, intra party where, where yeah. the committees will be sharing resources amongst themselves and Democrats helping Democrats, Republicans helping Republicans. But in many cases, you'll have committees that are renting this information to third-party data brokerages, which can in turn repackage and re-rent or resell that data to 
you know, God only knows who. And and that's where it, it kind of gets a little funky and different committees have different standards for how they use their data. And I'm going to guess that just about nobody actually reads any of the fine print that gets buried in some, you know, hyperlink that you never see and you never click on to know exactly how that is all going to transpire and take take place. I, I asked you this over the weekend, uh, and I know that you don't have any hard data on the idea of of whether or not uh, abortion or Roe versus Wade specifically is the number one uh, uh, campaign issue, uh, a money raiser of all time in these kinds of emails. But as somebody who has seen thousands of these emails that have come in, can can you think of like a a, a top three of of issues for which? Like uh, uh, you, you just tend to see the most, uh, uh, which we're then going to assume is because they are successful in getting people to pull out their credit card. For Democrats, Trump, if you can call him an issue or. All right. Yeah. So there we go. Maybe, yeah. Maybe, the number one Trump. <laughs> well, put put an asterisk next to next to Trump, even if okay. we're not going to count him as an sure. issue because he is a. A, a person. Um, there are so, so very many issues, whether it is his election result denial of 2020, yeah. whether it's the January 6th insurrection, whether it is his impeachment, number one or number two, or whether it's Donald Trump talking about any given issue, it'll be tied to Donald Trump. So Democrats, I, I think if, if somebody ever did some sort of pointy-headed academic study about messaging by Democrats for fundraising purposes about Donald Trump, uh, they would find that, you know, I I think a lot of the time it's sort of a Donald Trump plus type thing. It's Donald Trump said this, Donald Trump. He has has his own top five, his own top five of, of, yeah, uh, uh, Trump, all those things that you said that that's its own category. He really did. Uh, And, you know, going, going back, I think there was some, probably some limited success around COVID legislation, but you know, that's not, people are not thinking in terms of supporting Democrats or supporting Republicans or sort of like, let's make government work so that, sure. Oh, I don't yeah. know at the beginning of this pandemic, I'm not going to die or yeah. going to have a job or something. Like, give me help. So that, that wasn't really a big winner. Um, also too, you know, when you get to economic issues, it's kind of hard to fundraise in a political context off economic issues, seeing that economic issues are oftentimes about, um, well, you know, give me money. <laughs> I, yes. I need the help. I, I don't want to give you the money so that you can give me money. Wait, there's a disconnect there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, you, do, you don't want people thinking about their bank account when you are asking for money. Which is why you see, and, and let's jump to the Republican side, a lot of email fundraisers are about the you know, sort of the culture war type issues of critical race theory or mm-hmm. Disney World or, you know, what whatever the, the you know, social issue du jour is, is, is oftentimes going to be the fundraising subject line for an NRCC or for that Republican congressional candidate running in Nebraska or Florida or Texas or wherever. And in you know, the issue that may be a winner for Republicans could very well be wildly different than what the winning issue might be for Democrats. I think with the issue of abortion, you see that both sides are now fundraising at a very strong clip off this issue for their own particular reasons, of course. Yeah. Although it is notable that Democrats were a lot faster out of the gate. We saw in the first 24 hours, many, 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 many more messages coming from the Democratic side than we saw from the Republican side. The Republicans were a, a lot, sl- well, they, they were slower. They were more deliberate. They they took their time to- Well, I think this, this was more of a natural- a message about it. Yeah, this was a natural issue for, for, for the Democrats who have been uh, stomping their feet and yelling about uh, the Supreme Court and Roe versus Wade for a very, very, very long time. So I think for, for that- draft to come out it it fit a little bit more neatly into the 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 democratic and also i think that the democratic voters tend to be mobilized more on on this broadly uh, uh versus i think the republican part of the republican coalition the evangelicals certainly are motivated by roe versus way but i don't think in the same kind of numbers uh and 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 the republicans also still haven't figured out exactly what 
the, you know, I think for the first week it was like, well, let's talk about the leak. Like, you know, and you're not going to fundraise on why did Politico run the story as much as, you know, a, a journalist like me and you would like to endlessly speculate on and every element of how that happens. And you better believe that there there was A, B, C, D testing going on all over the place. And if you're not familiar gotcha. with those terms, yeah. I mean, that that's effectively where you are sending out messages. They they have different subject lines. They have different email address headers. They, they have different information that is either going to you know, work or, or not work as well. And so, as so, a result, for, so for example, so for people yeah. who have listened to this, that email that you got from the national Republican congressional committee that said urgent survey, and then the gobbledygook numbers at the end that looked like, like, Oh, okay. This is a personalized thing. For example, they might've sent out one that just said survey and not urgent and didn't have a line of numbers. One that said urgent survey and no line of numbers. And then one that said urgent survey with a line of numbers. And then maybe another one that had a short line of numbers and a long line of numbers just to see A, B, C, D, which of those groups that got those wound up opening it more. And then you send out a larger email blast that is benefiting from that data. Absolutely. They can they can track those click rates. They they can see in, in very, very uh, meticulous detail what is working and what is not working. And, and then they're going to quickly pivot and go with what's working. It's as simple as that. This is all a numbers game, at least at that level. And the numbers win. The big, the big numbers uh, take the day. And if you've got something that clearly is doing better than other different options that you've floated, then those <laughs> underperformers are, are going to uh, very quickly go into the uh, to, to the, uh, the the dustbin of history, and the others will will make you some money and collect you some data. Yeah, you know, I noticed something out on the road in Ohio in in all of the the candidate the Republican candidate uh, events that I went to that one topic. And and we were in fairly rural Ohio, or at least, you know, the, the exurbs of some of the larger cities there that are fairly close together. I mean, Cleveland and Columbus are, are about three hours. So if you're an hour outside of either, you're kind of close to the other. Uh, and that was the absence of guns. The, the, the It seems like like the gun issue is kind of uh, 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 receded. And, and certainly I don't know if it's going to be here for the midterms. Far more questions about critical race theory, far more questions about Facebook, far more questions uh, uh, about uh, uh, a litany of other things. Uh, not a whole lot about guns. Have you seen a downtick in in that, you know, uh, email messaging over the last, uh, uh, I guess, year and a half or so? From general Republican and Democratic uh, organizations, uh, perhaps a little bit. And where, where you're not getting any downtick is, is from the gun groups and the gun special yes, interests. They are. Yeah. So yeah. They're they're They are in full flourish. They, it is business as usual. And then some, uh, and in ways, uh, organizations such as Giffords, which is a super PAC nonprofit organization that that's led by uh, former representative Gabrielle Giffords, mm-hmm. who was almost uh, killed and assassinated killed. Yep. In, a, in a campaign event or a constituent event uh, in Arizona. She, uh, she has led the way there. And, Every time there's a mass shooting, every time there is something that is awful and tragic that happens, they are hyper-aggressive in getting their fundraising machines spooled up and raising money. They've been very, very vocal. And that's notable because if we were having this conversation even about a decade ago, there, there was kind of no comparable organization. There was the Brady uh, you know, anti-gun organization and a few others, but- they just didn't have is, anywhere. Is it every town? Cloud. Every town? The, like the, the Bloomberg one? Is it every town? Yeah, the and, Bloomberg one? Yeah. Exactly. And, and there's a, a few, you know, uh, you know, every town uh, against gun violence and, and, and a couple of others that, that definitely have have risen in prominence um, in the aftermath of just mass shooting after mass shooting after mass shooting. So So there is a bigger constituency, I think that they could argue today than there was in the past. There is definitely a much greater donor pool and people who are willing to give money to organizations like that because we can track over time the trajectory of their fundraising. But has it made any difference in Congress? Has it made any difference up on Capitol Hill or here in Washington, D.C.? Materially, no. We're effectively in the same place that, that we have been for years and years and years. 
So in essence, there would have to be a, a pretty massive change in the legislative makeup of Congress in order for any type of anti-gun type proposal yeah. to come come to fruition. Yeah. And I guess, you know, even in these these fairly contentious uh, uh, Republican primaries, it's you know, I, I went to one event where where uh, Mike Gibbons signed a, a gun pledge that I believe every other Republican candidate signed. But other than that, it was it was really uh, kind of a non-issue in the face of this sort of other uh, uh, culture war. Um, you know, the, the the liberals are there to indoctrinate your kids, not necessarily take your guns was was the the sense I got in relative to that issue specifically. And, and, and that really kind of circles back to sort of the urgency of the moment, the thing that is yeah. causing the freak out. And we've we've had Democratic control of both the House and the Senate with a Democratic president for a year and a half, roughly now. And if you are a hardcore, hard edged Second Amendment writer, and you are very concerned about your guns being grabbed by the government. Well, you haven't seen anything that would indicate to you at this moment in time, even if there are some Democrats who would love to have gun control in some form or fashion. Yeah, it just hasn't happened. And there's there's zero indication that it will. And and it's pretty clear that the votes just simply aren't there. So that's not going to be perhaps as urgent an issue than what's happening at, at your local school board or, or yeah. what might be happening on any myriad of other issues or for that matter, economic issues that you do care about uh, with, with inflation or whatnot. And, you know, that oftentimes will go back to, for Republicans in particular, the, the cult of personality around Donald Trump uh, and people who are saying, hey, if you elect me in 2024, we're going to support all those things and you're going to be okay. We're going to take care of you. In Florida, Ron DeSantis, the governor there, you know, very yeah. much the, the same approach. And uh, so, you know, personality does factor into it to a to a great degree, which is why you see a lot of that and why Donald Trump himself has been incredibly successful as a fundraiser in the many months after he left the White House and was no longer president. He's been raising tens upon tens of millions of dollars month after month after month. And many of his fundraising messages, which he sends out by text and email, Every yep. day, sometimes multiple times a day, you know, they're in a way for him, it's all about the gimmick, which has really been the case for Donald Trump for forever. forever. It's like, you know, open this now and win something or, you know, do this thing and you're going to get a Donald Trump gold card or I'm going to, you know, match your donation by 20 times over and, and just all this stuff that oftentimes is, you know, dubious and either half true yeah. or less. Uh, but Nevertheless, it is raising a ton of money, and there's still that that appetite for people to see that kind of a political operation supported, regardless of whether Donald Trump runs again or not, because there's no guarantee. And this money isn't going to be used for his presidential campaign anyway, because legally he can't use it. So it's uh, kind of Donald Trump's own political personal slush fund is really what this boils down to. Yeah. For him to splash around in, in whatever candidates that he wants elected uh, going forward. But yeah, no, it's fascinating that that urgency is everything. And and you continue to see it on both sides with the uh, increasingly pathetic and pleading emails that you will get uh, of like, like, well, I guess we guess we're dead. We're all going to die tomorrow unless you give me five dollars right now, uh, uh, which is my favorite genre of of sad, sad fundraising emails. And and if you will indulge me for 10 more seconds, please, read, please go again in real time here. Real time. This is Adam happening. Schiff. This is happening at at eleven thirty five central time as I speak to Dave Leventhal live from D.C. What, what, what What's coming to the inbox? Uh, the the inbox now from from Representative Adam Schiff, Democrat of California, one one yep. of Donald Trump's nemeses, uh, sure. somebody who who definitely was very involved in his impeachment. He, he's sort of oh, having right. like a yeah. counter messaging to the NRCC, which we talked about just a little while ago, and okay. he said, subject line, very long subject line, quote. The National Republican Congressional Committee is building an army of online donors by threatening to remove Adam from his committees. So, I mean, it, it's almost comical how you'll have email fundraising messages that are now not yeah. just playing off issues, but playing off issues that have been raised in other email fundraising 
movements. I mean, it, it's it's very Ouroboro. Just just as just as Marvel, yeah. everybody loves a team up. You know, as soon as as soon as all the characters clash, that's when people really get excited. Uh, we, on the other hand, get excited when Dave Leventhal joins us on this program, of course, of DC's uh, or sorry, the DC Bureau of Insider, the newly Pulitzer Prize invested insider. Is that right, Dave? That this is very true. One of my uh, dear colleagues, Walt Hickey, and three of his colleagues uh, just won yesterday the Pulitzer Prize for um, for illustration reporting, which is a new category for an absolutely heart wrenching and and beautifully told and and tragically told story uh, about a woman and her family who lived in Western China. Uh, they are uh, part of the the Uyghur minority group that, that mm-hmm. lived there. Um, very, very oppressed Muslims who are part of China. And it was a story of what happened to her there, a very human story, uh, if there ever was one, and how they escaped uh, and now live in Virginia, uh, here in the United States. And and done as basically a graphic novel. And I would absolutely encourage everyone to go uh, and and to read it uh, and, and to look at it. And it was just a product of Incredible amount of uh, reporting and work that that led ultimately to to the Pulitzer Prize uh, yesterday, which was Insider's first ever. The richest prize in the game. Uh, congratulations to Insider. Uh, you guys have been doing a lot of, of of great investment, not only in good work there in politics, but also in in that kind of art that uh, I'm glad was recognized. As I recognize Dave Dave Leventhal for coming on the show uh, so often. Thanks a lot, man. Hey, thanks so much, Justin. And that'll wrap it up for us today. Politics, Politics, Politics is written and hosted by me, Justin Robert Young, for Dog and Pony Show Audio in Austin, Texas. You can thank Dave Leventhal for all of his in-the-moment email headline breakdowns at px3guest.com. That is letter P, letter X, number three, guest.com. Send me all of your email feedback, theyoungamerican at gmail.com. On Twitter, it is at px3tweets. Uh, We are live on Twitch, px3live.com. Share this podcast with your friends, family, and clergy, px3podcast.com. And of course, get all of your political merch at politicsmerch.com. If you would like to support us with a one-time donation, like our boys, Todd, who hit me off with $10, and Ian, you can do so. PayPal.me slash payjury. Venmo is justin-young-20. Actually got a $50 hit off there. Thank you very, very much for that. And Cash App is PX3Cash. Send me anything physical that you would like in the mail. P.O. Box 153184, Austin, Texas, 787 one five. Of course, you can always get our bonus content at takepoliticsseriously.com. $3 tier gets you two bonus podcasts per week, covering all the news that we miss on our free podcast schedule. And specifically when we're on the road, you will get sound from these events that you will not get anywhere else. And your $10 tier gets you all that, plus your name read at the end of the podcast, like these fine folks in the Titanic. $10 tier. Vigard, Alexis, Neil of Neils, MC Dradio, Unsafe DB Level, Katie, Double K Ranch, Amanda, Ye Old Pinball Shop, John, DP4 Bongo, Niemeister, Nick's Horseless Diner, No Horses Ever, Catherine, Persons Familiar with the Matter, and Vote Gloria Young for King of the New World Order, 100 Mile Runner, Edison, Up, Down, or sorry, Up, Up, Down, Down, Left, Right, BA, Start. <laughs> Here we go. Well, I gotta get this Konami code right. Up, Up, Down, Down, Left, Right, Left, Right, BA, Start. Perfect. Dr. G, Headphones Neil, Charles, Darren, uh, Alex, owner of the Stronger Now Gym in Atlanta, Idris Arslandian, Blue Front and the Lenina, DL, Steven, Chad, Nomadic Terran, Diana Shrill Shrieks, Miranda Janelle, Chief Andy, Robert, Casey, Paul, Redneck Tech is awesome. David, Brad, Richard, D. Laser, just another pilot, middle age, Mike who loves Frank got abducted. Utah, Jimmy Montana, the Gen, Adam L, D, Really, Chopper, J Pink, Andrew. And Josh, if you would like your name read alongside these fine folks, head on over. Take politics seriously. 
Com. Friday, we have the glorious return of Kevin Ryan to the show and so much more. Till then, this is your old pal Justin Robert Young saying uh, some shows talk about politics, others talk about politics, and still more discuss politics. But this is the only show that dares discuss Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. (laughs) Dog and Pony Show Audio.